Welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. This is John Murphy, and it's my pleasure to welcome as our guest for this podcast, Dr. Gregory Schultz. Dr. Schultz is a professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the Institute for Wound Research at the University of Florida in Gainesville. And Dr. Schultz joins us today by telephone. Dr. Schultz, welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. Thanks, John. Dr. Schultz, I understand that you had an interest in wound healing and in particular you're initiating some new studies that relate to biofilm, how this affects, I understand, adversely wound healing. Perhaps you can just give us a brief overview of your research and what the status of those studies are. Sure, John. The area of biofilms really is referring to another type of growth pattern for bacteria. And, of course, we're all familiar with the single bacteria that we typically have all grown in a microbiology lab class and grown little colonies on uh, auger petri dishes. But actually, the majority of bacteria, both in the environment and frequently in chronic diseases, are growing in a different form, and that's called a biofilm community. And the biofilm community starts when individual single or so-called planktonic bacteria attach to a surface, whether it's an inert surface or like an orthopedic implant or a tooth root or to soft tissue like in the skin. And as the bacteria begin to multiply, they secrete small molecules that are called quorum factors. And these small molecules are essentially the bacteria's equivalent of a hormone for humans. And bacteria have receptors for these quorum factors. And when the density and concentration of the quorum factors gets high enough, the bacteria sense that with their receptors, and it changes their pattern of gene expression. And they begin to convert into a community that secretes a exopolymeric matrix, and this matrix is essentially a protective shield that keeps their natural predators like bacteria, phages, or bacteria viruses, and amoebas from essentially eating them. And this biofilm is something the bacteria have evolved very early in their development, so probably over 3 billion years ago when bacteria were first evolving. They develop this ability to form this protective shield or matrix. Now, in human diseases, the problem is that the natural immune system components that we use to normally very effectively clear single planktonic bacteria, such as the antibodies or our inflammatory phagocytic cells like neutrophils and macrophages, they can't penetrate through this exopolymeric matrix or this slime layer that the bacteria is secreting in the biofilm community. And so it becomes very, very difficult for our immune system to clear these bacteria. And it's the inflammatory response then that our body mounts to these bacteria encased in this protective shield that leads to the chronic pathologies that we see in many diseases. The most obvious one is periodontitis. Other diseases are cystic fibrosis, osteomyelitis, or infections on the bone. And we also now see biofilms and can detect them in a high percentage of chronic skin ulcers. So let's step back just for a second. And you began to introduce in your last comments some of the applications or needs that your studies are beginning to address. So 
In addition to uh, chronic skin ulcers, are there other types of pathologies where people encounter these types of problems? Yes, John. Uh, biofilms are not new in pathology. They're just relatively new to the field of chronic wounds. And the most obvious area and, and the most studied area where biofilms are known to cause diseases is in oral biology. And the class A condition is called periodontitis, which is when bacteria deposit on the tooth root enamel and, again, are very difficult to clear with antibodies or phagocytic inflammatory cells. And it's really the release of reactive oxygen species and proteases by the inflammatory cells as they try to engulf and kill and dislodge the biofilm that really causes the damage to the soft tissue surrounding the biofilm because the proteases and the reactive oxygen species are not specific. They can damage both the biofilm bacteria, but they can also damage the surrounding tissues. And so it's really this bystander effect or off-target effect of the products of the inflammatory cells that we see as the consequences of the pathology. And of course, in periodontitis, that's chronic inflammation around the tooth root and eventually a separation of the soft gingival tissue to the periodontal tooth ligament that essentially holds the soft tissue onto the tooth root. There are other very good examples in other fields where biofilms are known to be a major cause of the pathology. I mentioned cystic fibrosis. Of course, the genetic defect in that disease is a defective chloride transporter, which means that the epithelial cells of the lung have difficulty drawing water out of the plasma and secreting it into the, essentially the air surface of the lung. And so the mucus that the lung epithelial cells secrete as a protective barrier becomes very, very thick, and the cilia on the lung epithelial cells can't move this thickened mucus. And so it actually becomes a very good growth medium for bacteria, such as Pseudomonas aeruginosa. They develop a biofilm in that lung mucus secretion and chronic inflammation results. And eventually, the long-term outcome is the inflammatory response essentially damages and kills the lung epithelial cells, and the lung gets replaced by scar tissue, which, of course, doesn't allow for a good exchange of gases. Other examples include osteomyelitis. This is an infection, a very persistent infection that develops on the bone surface. The body's inflammatory system has difficulty removing the biofilm or dislodging it off of the bone surface. So oral antibiotics that are normally very effective at killing single planktonic bacteria are very ineffective against the biofilm because of the thickness of the shield of the exopolymeric matrix as well as a more senescent metabolism of the bacteria in the biofilm basically makes it almost impossible to clear these bacterial infections with oral antibiotics and usually requires some kind of a surgical debridement of the wound to actually remove the bacteria biofilm off of the bone surface and then try to prevent any new biofilm from reforming. So I understand, at least I believe, that some of these biofilm issues are also applicable to extracellular matrix scaffolds and those types of therapeutic approaches. 
Absolutely. So back now into the area of chronic skin wounds. Of course, all chronic skin wounds start out as an acute wound, and they just fail to progress through the phases of healing in the skin. Of course, that the hemostasis and clotting phase, then the inflammatory phase, which normally lasts about five to seven days, and then a repair phase that's usually about a week, and then remodeling phase that can last up to six months. And Chronic wounds, we know from molecular analyses now uh, across a wide range of chronic wound types, actually get stuck in the chronic inflammatory phase. And the reason is we now understand that a high percentage of these acute wounds develop a biofilm that makes it difficult to move from the inflammatory phase into the repair phase. So this is interesting because I've heard some of your colleagues in the past speak of these issues in terms of wound healing, and they said they could almost tell whether it was going to progress to healing or to become a chronic wound after perhaps a week. And it sounds like this is a biofilm or not a biofilm type issue. It is related to that, and uh, of course there are clinical signs that are usually very clear when there is a very intense infection, and the infection in those cases is mainly due to the single planktonic bacteria, and those, as I said, are effectively treated by not only our immune system, but also by oral or topical antibiotics or antiseptics. And so those really raging infections are dealt with, in most cases, pretty effectively. But where the problem becomes is the planktonic bacteria can begin to convert into the biofilm phenotype, and, and then it becomes very difficult to kill them. Now, the, the biofilm phenotype is kind of a smoldering infection, if you will, and that leads to chronic inflammation. But the chronic wounds that have these biofilms frequently don't have these overt signs of a serious clinical progressing infection. It's, it's really just a very indolent-looking wound that may have a slight amount of redness, a slight amount of inflammatory sign, uh, usually quite a bit of wound exudate. And when the wounds are treated with either topical microbials or with systemic antibiotics, they, they may get a little bit better, but after two weeks treatment, when the antibiotics are stopped, usually the wound stops healing and kind of becomes static again. And that's a classic sign of a biofilm infection. So I think you very nicely described the, uh, the mechanism and the outcomes when one encounters biofilms. So as I understand, you have a current research project that's trying to uh, address the needs and issues. Can you briefly describe where you are and where you're headed in this regard? My colleagues and I here at the University of Florida, along with colleague Jeff Davidson and uh, Lillian Nanny at Vanderbilt University, submitted a research proposal to HealthPoint to really try and study how the presence of a biofilm in chronic wounds disrupts the signaling between the matrix and the cells, and that process is called dynamic reciprocity. And our role here at the University of Florida is to characterize the biofilms on chronic wounds and then prepare samples of the wound bed and send those to Vanderbilt University where they will do a complete assessment of the protein profile within the matrix of the wound bed, and that, that's called proteomics, where using very sophisticated technologies and involving mass spectrometry, it's actually possible to identify essentially every protein within a sample. And the 
Proteins are important because those are obviously the components of the matrix, but it's also the components that help to signal the wound cells, the epithelial cells and fibroblasts and vascular and epithelial cells, about how to transform into activated cells and essentially repair the tissue injury. So in addition to increasing the basic science and knowledge about these uh, biofilms, what is a, a likely therapeutic corrective strategy, assuming a successful results to your study? The information that we hope to obtain from this basic research grant will help identify the components of the matrix that are damaged during the presence of a biofilm or by the presence of a biofilm and, and the inflammatory response to that biofilm. And that will then give us excellent leads as to what protein components need to be replaced to restore this dynamic reciprocity signaling that really has to occur before wound cells begin to repair the damage. Another aspect of that is that there are commercially available matrices that are produced from different sources. Some are completely synthetic, made in the laboratory with polymers and extracts of tissues like collagen. Others are processed forms of usually animal tissues that maintain much of the structural integrity and the signaling molecules within the matrix that wound cells need to be able to detect through their integrin receptors on the cell membrane surface to be able to respond correctly and begin to heal the wound. So, for example, one of the naturally derived substances that I presume is extracellular matrix, is that correct? That's correct. You know, one of these products is called the Oasis dressing, and, and this is a naturally derived product from the pig small intestinal submucosa. And that material particularly is interesting because during the processing, of course, all of the cells and antigenic structures are removed, but it maintains functional matrix component, a spectrum that contains both growth factors bound in the matrix, as well as the matrokines, these molecules that are, are important in signaling back to the cell and telling the cell how to respond to the injury, how to change into an activated fibroblast or how an epithelial cell should begin to proliferate and migrate to cover the wound. So these naturally derived products have a number of very important components in it that the wound cells begin to heal the wound through this dynamic reciprocity signaling mechanism. Dr. Schultz, I know this is a work in progress, and many times we have listeners on these podcasts who want to know when these technologies might be available to help their needs and so forth. Is this a study that's multiple years, or can you give us some estimate of when the results might be clinically available? The research project is designed to be initiated and completed within one year, and so we would hope that at the end of that year, we'll be able to identify the key components that are different between normal, healthy matrix and a chronic wound matrix that we know will be damaged from these elevated levels of proteases and reactive oxygen that characterize these biofilm-populated chronic wounds. 
So the direct translation of that is that we'll be able to assess the components within the naturally derived extracellular matrix dressings and help assess the key components that are there. The long-term objective could be to actually enhance the functioning of those naturally derived products or synthetically generated products by adding back in certain components that would accelerate and enhance the actions of those matrix products. So it sounds like perhaps in several years it's conceivable that these new findings could be available for clinical use. That's correct. And, of course, one of the aspects that is the other component of understanding what's damaged in the matrix is understanding how to stop that damage in, in the matrix of the wound bed. And so we can tell from the proteomics what kinds of proteases are present and what kind of damage they're causing by the fragments they generate. And so it's conceivable that one way to enhance the effectiveness of either the synthetic matrix or the natural derived matrix would be to combine them with selective protease inhibitors or reactive oxygen sinks that will neutralize and prevent those damaging activities from further denaturing the matrix in the wound bed and also the synthetic or natural products that are added into the wound bed. Dr. Schultz, you've shared with us some very interesting findings and approaches to this problem. Perhaps you could just synopsize the steps in the wound healing process and your strategies for dealing with them. You know, these biofilms are causing the inflammation. The inflammation results in production of reactive oxygen species and proteases, but because they can't kill the biofilm effectively, they cause damage to the surrounding matrix as opposed to just killing the bacteria. And really that damaging of the surrounding matrix disrupts the signaling that has to occur between the cells and the matrix for wounds to heal. And that's this concept of disruption of the dynamic reciprocity, the reciprocal signaling between the cells and the matrix and the matrix and the cells. And so we need to understand much more about what proteins are damaged to be able to make these products better by either adding some of those components back into them or by adding inhibitors that reduce the damage that's occurring when these products are added into the wound. Dr. Schultz, thank you again for joining us on Regenerative Medicine today. As we conclude this podcast, I'd like to commend you and your colleagues both at the University of Florida as well as at Vanderbilt who are studying these important issues. Also, as we conclude this podcast, I'd like to remind our listeners that we welcome suggestions. You can reach us at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. And as we conclude, I'd like to thank the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine that sponsors this podcast series. Again, thanks to our listeners. Thanks to Dr. Schultz and best wishes that we meet again in two weeks. Thank you. 